school for a number of years, and then she partnered with us in Royal Family Kids Camp, was on staff with us there, and uh, her family has become friends with our family, and uh, she came to me talking about a vision that she had for, that God had put in her heart for Hope House, um, a, a sub- sober living home for women in Huron, and uh, we put this date on the calendar a couple months ago, but I'm super pumped because I listen to AM radio as all good people should, and uh, I've been hearing all week about what God has been doing, and so she's going to come, and I just pray um, that God really develops partnership in your heart as she shares today. Would you welcome her as she comes to share about Hope House? Thank you, Pastor Tom and Restoration Church. I'm so excited to be here, as Pastor Tom said. Um, We talked a while ago and got this on the schedule, and I thought, well, that's a long ways away, but God is good, and he is faithful, and he knew just the right time for me to come talk to Restoration Church. Um, My name is Gail Stahl, and I'm standing before you today as the president of Hope House. Hope House is a vision to bring a sober living home to Huron. Before I tell you the story, I want to be very, very clear. This project is God's completely. I want you to know that I might say me or I when we're talking about this journey, but this is not about me. It is about his plan for sober living in Huron. This vision begins for me about three years ago. I was asked to take a Celebrate Recovery Bible study into the Beetle County um, Jail for women. When I walked into the jail um, the first time, the Holy Spirit overtook me. I have such a deep passion for these women It was here that God laid sober living on my heart. I was sitting at the table the second time with four women. I know the women. I know their stories. I picture myself in that environment right now. And at this point, I will tell you I'm very naive to um, recovery world. And I say to the young lady, well, what happens when they let you out? And all of these women at my table were um, addicted to meth. And she says, what do you mean? They open the door and they let us out. And I thought, in that 30 seconds, I thought, how are you supposed to stay clean? Same house, same friends, same environment. Why don't we have something? And there is where the vision starts. And I will be honest and tell you, for about six months, I told God that it wasn't me. (laughs) And I said, nope, I can't do that. And he, every time I turned around, he said, yes, you can. And so that's where it starts. Um, In the past three years, I've attended National Sober Living Association trainings talked with numerous people and pulled together resources that will help the Hope House succeed. We have a six-person board that's working hard to bring this vision together. The Hope House mission is to provide an environment where an individual can apply the tools of recovery in a safe and supportive home and sustain sobriety to live a life of truly freedom. We will provide support throughout an individual's recovery. This will be a faith-based approach, offering Bible studies, encouraging church involvement, and recommending Celebrate Recovery. Hope House at this time is only for women. The women will be expected to pay guest fees. So what you or I would say rent, it will be guest fees. They are required to have a job, attend outside recovery meetings, and follow the strict guidelines for the home. This is in order to build a safe, sober lifestyle that they can sustain for their long-term success. One of the um, statistics that keeps me going is this. Research has shown that a person who lives in sober living environment for nine months to one year has an 80% chance of staying sober. It is my heart's desire to make a difference in the lives of women God chooses for Hope House. The women don't have to know Jesus to live in the house, but we'll introduce them to him. 
I am here humbly asking for prayer. Please pray for the guests God plans to place in the Hope House, for the board, for future volunteers, and all the details that need to fall into place. Obviously, um, with this comes some financial need. About one month ago, a huge prayer request was answered. Angel House gave us a home. So with a free home comes renovations and upfront expenses. In order to complete the renovations, we are going to need more funding. The board, um, God willing, has a goal open date of January 1. In the future, um, this home will be supported by the guest fees that the women um, pay, donations, and grant monies. I'm just going to tell you that this is completely new to me. <laughs> I'm learning something new every day, and there's changing, and things are changing every day. I'm open to questions, comments, concerns, advice. It would be such an honor if Restoration Church would come alongside Hope House in our mission to serve the Huron area. And in closing, I'd li just like to share my verse that I've been clinging to throughout this journey. It's Proverbs 16:3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. So in researching this verse, I read the following. We must maintain a delicate balance, trusting God as if everything depends on him, while working as if it depended on us. So um, this isn't in my notes, but I wanted to just add that when I walked in to your service and Pastor Tom started the service, he said, welcome home, Restoration Church. That is one of the first things our women will hear when they walk into Hope House they will be welcomed home. So I appreciate you listening. Um, I appreciate your support. Um, the, uh, I'm humbly, I'm just so humbled by this opportunity to come speak with to you. I will be out in the foyer after the service. I have, I know Pastor Tom, I think he emailed you guys a letter. I have that letter. I also have a card with um, all the information for Hope House. I would love to answer questions, concerns, um, anything that you have. So I just, again, thank you and um, Looking forward to serving the Lord in this way. Thank you. Thank you, Gail. Love, love, love what is happening there. Um, again, there's a basket out in the lobby, and it says Hope House on it. If you want to give electronically, um, just use the Help Fund. Everything that comes in this week um, for Help Fund will go directly to Hope House. So um, please use that um, starting today and then all through this week. You can use that for for this. And so you did or you should have gotten that letter in your email this week. And if you didn't, that means I don't have your correct email. And so that'd be a great time to see me after uh, the service again today or send me a text message with your email and uh, we'll get you added to that. And then you can pick up the letter uh, from Gail out in the lobby. And so um, we today are going to finish a series that we have been on called Church Matters. Church Matters. Um, matters in the sense that church is important, and it's important not because I say so, but because Jesus said, I will build my church. And so if Jesus said he's going to build it, it must be important, and it must matter. Uh, also using the term matters as the things that pertain to the church. And so we started by reminding us that the church in our culture, that word church means a lot of things, but it is not a building. It is not a denomination, it is not a program, it is not a location, it's not a worship service. Church, when you look at that word in the scripture, is always a reference to a kingdom community of people that carry out the mission of God. That's what church is. And none of us can do it alone. 
We can have success alone, and we can grow in our walk with the Lord alone, but to accomplish what God wants to accomplish on earth is far bigger than any of us can do alone. We have to work together. That is God's plan, and it is His plan because it is His character. God is an us. He is Father, Son, and Spirit, and so He wants us to be us because He's us. That's pretty good, right? And so that's who he is. And we've talked about the commodities of the church, what we bring. We are not the commodities, but what we bring, our time, our talent, our resources, our energy. We talked about commitment. We talked about connection and how important connection is in the body of Christ. We talked about the sealing of the church, the power of the Holy Spirit to do immeasurably more than anything we could ask or imagine. And that may be supernatural and that may be practical. For I hear people say all the time, oh, I just can't stand that person. I just can't be nice to them. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, yes, you can. And so that's super practical. It's not just supernatural. It's also practical. And then we talked about culture and what makes us different as a church and the table and our vision and our mission and the words hope and honor and humility and how important those are. So if you missed all that, you can go back on the podcast and listen to it. And then last week, I started a discussion on covenant um, and God's eternal plan from the beginning, even before the foundation of the world, was to have a covenant with people, to have a covenant people that put him on display on the earth. And we traced this idea of covenant and we can't we don't have time to go back through it, um, but we traced it through the scripture and we talked about it. Um, The covenant God makes with us, he is super faithful to it. He will never abandon it. When we abandon covenant, God stays faithful to covenant. He keeps pursuing us. That doesn't mean that everybody gets to go to heaven. No, you still have to put faith in Christ. He is going to be faithful to keep pursuing you until the point of no return. But he is going to pursue you until you come back to him. That's his commitment. He's not going to say, all right, fourth time I've talked to you, that's it, we're done. Seventh time you've made that mistake, we're done. He is faithful even when we are unfaithful. And he calls us to live as a covenant people that act like him with that same level of faithfulness and putting trust in his countercultural against our human nature, upside down, inside out kingdom. And the reality is God is always at work accomplishing his purposes. So if that's true, we're going to pick up there and we're going to finish that sermon from last week and actually one from a couple weeks ago um, because and so I really just called this covenant and calling part two so for those of you that were looking for a c word you just didn't get one (laughs) you're disappointed I can tell Um, so covenant and calling part two because our calling is to live this out but the reality of it is um, most of our day-to-day lives doesn't feel like we're accomplishing much Uh, especially if you have toddlers. Sometimes it's just like getting through the day is all I really need to do. And some days it even feels like we're taking a step back in our calling. And sometimes we enter into seasons like that where we're like, God's put this dream on our hearts or he's put a vision in our hearts. Um, And I, I was super excited when I put this together this week and just thought I had not planned this sermon for this day But I love that Gail was here today talking about Hope House and the three-year process. And even before, I mean, this was in the heart of God for Gail, even before it was in Gail's mind. 
And he was preparing her and planning for her to be able to do this from the beginning, from the beginning. And that's sometimes but sometimes it feels like we're not going anywhere. We're in a job and we're like, why am I in this job or I'm in this relationship or I'm in this time in my life? And it's just like, and there's sometimes we just don't understand. And the question is, what do we do when the promise of God seems to get further away or we're, we're stuck in a place where we feel like we're not accomplishing what God has called us to do? And I want to share a story. In fact, I'm going to actually play a story for you that the president of North Central University, Scott Hagen, shares with incoming freshmen every year. And I was privileged last year when we dropped Madeline off to hear it for the first time, and I've heard it several times since. And it's a profound story. The moment I heard it, I just thought, I can't duplicate that. That's powerful. So I'm going to show, I'm going to show it to you, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to talk about burying the buffalo. So listen to this story. I go to Nepal every year. I climbed up to base camp Mount Everest last August. It was a crazy climb. And I, I've been going now for eight or nine years. About four years ago, there was a cataclysmic earthquake in Nepal. Um, many of you might remember it from being in high school or junior high. Huge earthquake in Nepal, devastating. It happened about three weeks before our scheduled trip. Our team of 10 was already ready to go. We'd spent the money, prayed up, and we were going to do some pastor schools there in Kathmandu, Nepal. Then we're going to trek and go up in the mountains, not climb Mount Everest to base camp. But we were going to do some pretty serious hiking. Whole trip got changed, just like COVID. Everything changed everything. So now we're just kind of saying, let's go, let's be available. So we fly over there, and it just so happened that the 10 people I was bringing had never been there before. I was the only one who'd been to Nepal. There was no repeat people on this trip. Cost about four grand. You have to take shots. You got to train. It's higher altitudes. I mean, you're amped up for about six months getting ready for this trip. And we're going, going. But we don't even know what our schedule is going to be now. Literally, we're going to land and make up the trip over the next 12 days. We land in uh, Kathmandu. We go on a 12-hour Jeep ride up this mountain. It was brutal. That I mean, it was as dangerous as could be. We get there in the middle of the night. We have to put these headlamps on. We haven't slept. No acclimation day. Now we're climbing up this mountain. We go up about an hour, hour and a half, steep climb. We get to this little village. We climb inside our tents and just thank God that we're, we are alive, to be totally honest. It was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that was brutal. And so the sun comes up. And instead of having an acclimation day, the guy says, the, there's no men in this little village, just some ladies and our interpreters not there. And they tell us in writing that we have to go to this other village and help. So we climb literally about two and a half hours up this steep hill. Like we're just dying tired. We get to this village and they're, they're motioning to us that there's a big dead buffalo, a big dead animal, a thousand pound dead buffalo, massive animal, 500 pounds, I'm guessing, huge dead flies on it the whole bit and they go your job is you've got to uh we need you to dig a hole and bury this buffalo for the village okay or what we're gonna bury the buffalo they got these crude picks and these little broken shovels they give them to us and so my whole team is there and we start digging this hole it was hard pan it was hard dirt to get through rock and about five minutes in, we're sweating, and they're looking at me like, I flew all the way around the world to bury a stupid buffalo? I could have went to my neighbor's farm and buried his cow. What am I, I spent 4,000 bucks, got shots in my behind to do this? And I, you know, I'm faking it. 
because I'm mad. I'm, I'm going, hey, servant leadership, servant leadership, big, big, happy, fake it till you make it. Let's do it. My team morale was crashing. They're looking at me. Took us several hours to, you know how big a hole it takes to put a five or 100 pound buffalo in the ground? We're filthy. It's, I mean, it's brutal, muddy. We do it. We finally get the buffalo in the hole, put dirt on it. We're bent over like this. My team has looked at me. They, they were like burning a hole through me. Like, I cannot believe. I thought we were coming on a ministry trip. What's the deal? Why do we do this? And I don't know either. It's, it seemed dumb to me too. Finally, at the end of the day, there's an interpreter that comes in. We're bent over like this. Little grandma comes out. She's like 100 years old. She's little tiny Nepalese grandma with a little tray of tea. She comes out and she has tears coming down her face. I'm sorry, I'm moving. I'm blowing the Zoom. I'm sorry, Chris. I apologize for the Zoomers in here that I've been walking all over. Um, she has tears coming down her face. She comes up to us and says, thank you. The earthquake, villages have all collapsed. There's hundreds of people dead, telling us to this interpreter in the mountains, all the men are gone digging out family. This animal died. Um, if we don't get this buffalo in the ground tonight, the wolves come out of these mountains. They're gonna feed on this buffalo and then they're gonna feed on our children. Thank you for saving our children. Thank you for saving the village. This group of yahoos I was with, they stand up and go, Oh yeah, oh yeah, we saved the village. Oh yeah, we saved the children. Oh yeah. I'm like, that's what we were doing? We were saving a village? We were saving the children from being eaten? Why didn't you tell us that at the beginning of the day? And I thought this is exactly how the kingdom of God works. Sometimes you spend seasons in your life going, how is this connected to this? How does this fulfill the passion and the vision and the dream? I'm sitting in this science class. I'm sitting in this math class, this English class. I got a vision. I got a passion. I got to get there. What does this have to do with that? I'm telling you straight up, you let God have total control of your story. And you're going to look back on your life and go, oh my goodness, I was a part of something much larger, a different story. I was involved in this little story and God had this big story going on because sometimes you gotta bury the buffalo to save the village. But the problem is people halfway through the day throw their shovel down and go, I quit because I don't get it. God's not told me. This is a huge waste of time in my life. And that's why they never get to the big story. And that's why they don't get to cry like the 10 of us who went on that trip still cry when we talk about this story because we got to be a part of something. and. Somehow we didn't quit halfway through the day. And we got to the end of that story and found out we had helped save a village and helped save a group of children's lives. And suddenly the assignment doesn't look that horrible at that point in time. God's not gonna tell you the end game right now. You're just gonna grind, you're gonna shovel, you're gonna dig. And it feels like, why am I burying this stupid buffalo right now? But I promise you, somewhere along the way, the Lord is gonna show you the actual story you were participating in. It's not a big waste of time. 
It's not a waste of your life. Stay faithful, even if you don't understand it. Don't quit. Huh. I mean, we read tons of stories in the Bible that are like this, and we get the benefit of hindsight. We turn a page and we forget that page is like 15, 20, 50 years of faithful day after day. I mean, 50 years, 60 years, not seeing the end of the story. Do we trust Him enough to surrender our story to Him? I want to look at just a couple of those stories from the Scripture because I want us to be a people that stay faithful to the season that we're in and trust that God's at work. I don't want to be a people that throw down the shovel and quit. I don't want to be a people that never get to see the bigger story that God is writing because I promise you, God is always writing a story bigger than what we think. We stay faithful We stay in obedience and we stay committed, even during seasons of grind that don't seem to match where we think we're going. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and he says to Abraham this promise, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, what does Abraham want? He wants a kid. So for Abraham, he wants a child, and he is so fixed on getting a kid that he screws up the story by trying to manipulate and get a kid the wrong way in his own strength, in his own power. And today, we have problems in the Middle East because Abraham didn't trust his story to God and wait for God to do it because God wanted to wait till Abraham was as good as dead. So that Abraham would get something, he would learn something, so God could write a big story. And so God's like, Abraham, it's not just about you having a kid, it's about the whole world being blessed through you. And in order for that to happen, there's a process. We have to come to the very end of everything so that I can show up, so I can give you a son, so that I can write this bigger story. We want to be a people that are putting God on display. And that's an exciting thing, and that's an exciting promise. I mean, if God came to you and said, all peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through you, we'd be like, wow, praise God. But remember what Abraham had to endure to get there. Remember what all of the people in the Scripture had to endure to get there. See, God gives us a dream. He gives us a vision. He gives us a vision for something like Hope House. And we're like, wow, this is a great vision, but i got to attend three years of meetings and paperwork and Day after day, and even before that, the stuff that we have to learn in our lives so that when that moment comes, we're ready and we're prepared and we know what it is to be merciful and patient and kind. And we have a heart that's open to people that are in these situations. And our hearts aren't hard, and that sometimes takes a lifetime of preparation to get us there. And if we short-circuit that process and we throw down the shovel, here's the thing. God is faithful and He's going to keep pursuing you, but it may take you 40 years to get somewhere He wanted you to get in a year, but you kept throwing the shovel down. You kept changing jobs. You didn't stay in a job long enough to get the type of skills and dedication and character and training that you needed so God could take you where you were going. You kept jumping from job to job and God's like, man, if you just stay somewhere long enough to get the skills, I could get you to this part. 
but he's still faithful and he's still going to get us there. In Romans chapter 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul talks about Abraham and he says that Abraham, against all hope, kept hoping, kept believing, and God made all that possible. And in these two chapters, when God's talking or when Paul's talking about the faith of Abraham, he uses the word believe five times. He uses the word trust one time and he uses the word faith 11 times to talk about Abraham. And in the middle of all of it, he says, therefore, since we are justified by faith, that means God had something in mind when he told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. It wasn't just so Abraham could have a son. I mean, in our American culture, I hope that we get this through our head today. We love to talk about our personal relationship with Jesus and uh, the promises of Jesus for me and me and me and me. And God has so much more in mind than just me. He's got this world in mind. And he can use us to impact it if we surrender our story to him and stop fixating on the promise to me and trust that he's working something bigger and greater as I wait for the promise and trust and shovel and dig and just keep digging, knowing that he's at work. In Romans 5, 3 through 5, look at what the Apostle Paul says here. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Suffering produces perseverance. Does anything else produce perseverance, please? Could I get a uh, letter B? I don't find a lot in Scripture that says perseverance is produced any other way except hardship and suffering. And yet we try to find the path of least resistance. Well, this job is causing me suffering. I need to find a better job. Where are you going to find a job that gets you perseverance? Because if you get one that there's no suffering or hardship, you won't learn perseverance. I got to get better people around me. I got to go to a different church. I got to, it's always, I got to change the stuff around me because I got to have an easier life. Okay, but you may be short-circuiting exactly what God's trying to teach us. Perseverance produces character. Huh. See, character isn't made on sunny days. Character isn't made when people are nice to you. It's when people are a jerk and you have to be nice in return. That's where characters produce. So stop running from jerks and get closer and learn how to develop character. That's good preaching right there. And character produces hope. Maybe the fact that the church doesn't have hope in the midst of the chaos around us is because we don't have character, because we won't develop the perseverance we need, because we keep jumping from place to place. We don't stay planted long enough for God. We throw down the shovel. I don't see how this works. What about King David? King David. I like King David. Everybody likes King David. I mean, he's a man after God's own heart. Who doesn't like that? He's anointed to be king. Praise God. He kills Goliath. Woo! He starts serving in the court of King Saul. He plays an instrument like nobody else, and he can calm the king. Wow, I am on the track. And then one day, Saul throws a spear at him. And David spends years in the wilderness running for his life. And the men that gather around him, by the way, if you gather around yourself, People that are disgruntled, <laughs> they will eventually turn on you too. And David found that. But David found strength in the Lord. One of my favorite verses from 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. 
But David found strength in the Lord when his men, he didn't run away from his men. He didn't say, after all I've done for you, this is how you're treating me. He found strength in the Lord and he turned to those men that wanted to stone him and he said, let's go get our people back. That's the type of character. Where did David get that character from? I mean, Acts chapter 13, verse 22, God testifies, God testifies, not a person. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to. <laughs> Can God say that about me and you? Or are we the type of person that's like, why God? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to d put up with this? Why, 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 why? I mean, you'd be surprised how many times in a day when I work, I work in a school now and I hear the word why, why, why. And I have taken to just saying because I said so. <laughs> I know that's the worst reason, but because it is, you know, you could just do something without asking why. But yet how many of us do that to God? Why, why, why? I mean, he says, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Keep digging, keep trusting the story. David was a man before his time. He put the ark in a tent before it was time. He had people singing around it. He took, he had principles in mind that no one else did. Remember the story about his men that were going to stone him and then they went off to cap, to get back all of their plunder and all of their women. First Samuel chapter 30 and David, some of the men were too tired to go along. So they stayed there, and on the way back, they say, hey, give those men back their wives and kids, but don't give them any of the spoil. And David says, no. He says, everybody shares. I mean, that's a principle that's unheard of. Where does David get this stuff from? Well, because suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Is it any wonder that King Saul, who was appointed, remember he looked so humble, when he was hiding in the baggage, where's, where's Saul? His, the lot has fallen on him to be king, and he's like shoulder, head and shoulders above the rest. And if you ever learn, um, the Benjaminites, Saul was a Benjaminite. Do you know what the Benjaminites were famous for? Benjaminites were famous for, for, for their slinging ability. They could hit a hair at a distance of 100 yards with a sling. Remember how David killed Goliath? Huh. And who was from the tribe of Benjamin who would be good with a sling? Saul. But Saul wasn't out there. David was out there. Saul gets to the throne, no perseverance, no suffering, no character. And how'd that go? Solomon, the same thing. Solomon comes to power, and we think, wow, Solomon, he asked God for wisdom. Yes, he started well, and then he didn't use that wisdom because he went against everything God told the kings to do. Don't marry lots of women. What did he do? Married lots of women. Don't go to Egypt and get chariots. What did he do? Went to Egypt and got chariots. And he built the empire to, you know, according to our understanding here on earth, wow, he built the empire that, man, he made Israel at its height. And yet, when God promised he was going to have a kingdom that would never end. He didn't say the kingdom of Solomon. He said the kingdom of David. David needed another son because Solomon never fulfilled it. See, God knows what he's doing with our lives. And all of us are going to go through these seasons where we're just shoveling and we're digging and we're God is doing more than we understand.
the story of Joseph. Another great story in the Bible, and we love this story. I mean, this is a great story, except when it's our life. Because, you know, God gave him a dream. You're going to be a ruler. You're going to rule over your brothers and over your father and your mother. And then he gets sold into slavery. And what does he do as a slave? Well, he just is faithful. I mean, what if in that process he's just like, I am not serving God. He abandoned me here. I mean, these dreams. No, he didn't throw down the shovel. He was still faithful. And what did that get him? Prison. Falsely accused. And what does he do in prison? Just stays faithful. And it's easy for us to read those several pages and be like, oh, yeah. And then we, oh, God, I don't understand why I have to have this boss like this. And we miss the point. God is working in your life the same way he worked in the life of Joseph. And if you just keep faithful and you just stay faithful and stay obedient and develop the character to handle the moment. Because in Genesis chapter 44, Joseph says to his brothers, he ascends to the throne. Now, if you're going to let someone ascend to the throne who has the power to literally wipe out your covenant people, you better make sure he has the character to handle this moment. Because this could have went bad. Come close to me. And when they had done so, he says, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant. Do we trust God with our story enough? To be the one that saves others' lives? To have a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh. I mean, God's plan doesn't even involve just saving the people of Israel. He saves the entire known world at the time through one guy who didn't get the the benefit of hindsight. He didn't get to read Genesis chapter 44 when he was living Genesis chapter 42. He just had to stay faithful. I could pull out countless numbers of Bible characters, but they all tell us the same thing. In John chapter 3 verse 16, this is one of our favorite verses in the Bible, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I am grateful, and I understand when people say, you know, if you would have been the only one, Jesus would have died on that cross. And I, I get what we're talking about, and I get this idea that I have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But in that, that pursuit, do not forget that it's not just about you. That God has a plan to save the world. And if the plan to save the world involves me needing to suffer and develop perseverance and perseverance character and character hope so that I can be a part of the story, the bigger story that God is writing, then I want to be a part of that. I mean, I'd love to be like Peter and say, yes, I'm a part of that. But I realize that 
that's easy to say and harder to do. Remember that Joseph, later on in the story in Genesis, says what you meant for evil, God intended for good. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good. And I, I've watched, walked with people through suffering in their lives, and they're like, and I know that God's going to work all this for good, but I don't see how. And that's the point. We never do. We never do on this side of the suffering. We cling to hope, and we just keep digging. We just keep plowing. We just keep planting. We just keep moving forward. That's what we keep doing, trusting that God is writing a bigger story that I can't yet see. For those who have been called according to His purpose, His purpose. God, I trust you. I trust you're writing a story. That's easy to pray right now today. But what's going to happen tomorrow in our lives? I've been putting on Facebook the story of Gary Wildman, the pastor up in Aberdeen, our district um, secretary treasurer. And yesterday I listened to his final sermon at that church. He preached on a Sunday and he went in the hospital on Monday for COVID, was on a ventilator for about 38 days and passed away on Friday. And the sermon that he preached is full of, this isn't my church, this is God's church, and we don't understand when we walk through these difficult moments, but we trust that God's always doing something. And I just thought, how prophetic and profound. And yet he had absolutely no idea in that moment, nor did anyone who was listening, what tomorrow was about to hold. And yet it still rings true. And what a legacy to leave that church, that final message that God's got this. Oh, it doesn't look anything like any of them thought. There is not one person in Aberdeen today that's like, yeah, I saw this coming. And yet God still has it. I don't understand, and there's no way I would try to come up with a reason for it. We put our trust in the one that holds it all. I don't have to have the answer. I don't have to have the reason. I just have to trust. For those, verse 29, God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So what is God working for the good of so that we would be conformed to the image of his son? That's his first primary purpose for all of us. So that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, meaning we should be like him. Verse 30, and those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So what should we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him along with him all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. We can trust the story. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, depth, nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. I agree, hindsight would be great for some of the stuff that we have to go through in our lives, the seasons that we find ourselves in. But we don't have hindsight. But we do have the hindsight of countless, countless men and women before us. In Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, it lists all those people that were faithful to what God had, had promised and called them to do. And at the end of it, the end of the chapter, look at this, verse 39 and 40. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been Are we willing to serve God faithfully all of our days on this earth and yet never fully receive what was promised? When Jesus said, count the cost, I think he included that. Can we trust that God is writing a bigger story? You know, I was at the fall banquet at James Valley Christian School this last weekend, and uh, the speaker was speaking on the importance of developing a biblical worldview in the hearts and minds of our children. And he said, you know, you're not supporting this school and you're not supporting this concept of building a biblical worldview in the hearts and minds of children just for the children that are here. He said, I want you to think of this. The children that are today in sixth grade, sixth grade, their children will be alive in a hundred years. So the investment you're making today isn't just for you and your children. The investment you're making is for the children a hundred years from now that are going to be adults, that are going to be doing whatever needs to be done on the earth. We're making investments not just in today, but in the future. The other day we were running down the street for cross-country practice, and uh, it was warm. It was in the 80s, and I'm like, dear Lord, I thought this was fall. And we came into a block, and there was an entire thing of, of shade. I mean, a whole block. And as we were running, I said to the kids, I am so grateful today for the men and women who planted these trees so that today I could run in shade. And as silly as that is, that's the reality. And I don't know why you're in the situation that you're in, but here's what I know. God is always writing a bigger story than what any of us ever can imagine. If we stay faithful, if we stay obedient, if we stay humble, if we stay teachable, if we stay soft and pliable, and we do not allow the difficulties and the hardships to harden our hearts. And then we're ready to hear when God calls on us and says, Hey, I want you to hear the plight of women in Huron who need help. And your heart is ready because it's been made ready. And you have the skills and the talents and the abilities and the perseverance that you need to see it through. One last scripture from the book of James. Very familiar to us. We all love it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And here's the kicker, verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work. It's not just I went through hard times. It's that I let perseverance finish its work in those times. 
so that I may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Far too many people, I think, never experience the bigger story because they throw down the shovel and quit. Don't be one of them. Let's be a people that just trust the story that God is writing. And so, Father, today I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that even before the foundation of the world, that Jesus gave up his life for us. (laughs) Before you said, let there be light, this was your plan. You knew it. This is who you are. You are a God whose mercies are new every morning. You are a God who is abounding in love. You are a God that continues to pursue us and stay faithful to your covenant because you want a covenant people on earth that put you on display. And so, God, I know that we can trust you with our story. We can trust that you are writing the story. You are writing a far better story than we could see or imagine. But I also know that it's difficult in the throes of it. And I know that there are people in this room today that are are probably tired of of digging. And they're not just digging a hole for a buffalo. They're tired of fighting. They're tired of, of persevering. But Holy Spirit, I pray today that you give them the strength they need to let perseverance finish its work. God, make us a people that let perseverance finish its work, that trust that you are writing a bigger story. And it's not just about our personal promise. It's not just about me getting a kid. It's not just about me getting a healing. It's not just about me getting something. God, you're using the promises to us individually to do something far greater than any of us could ever imagine. And so help us not to get so narrow in our focus that we lose sight of the greater story that you're telling. Help us not to come to the place where we start manipulating to try to make your promise come to pass because we've lost sight of the greater story that you're trying to write in the meantime. Help us to trust you. Help us to stay faithful. God, help us to stay in the situation that we're in when you're asking us to stay. And yet help us to also know when it's time to leave the situation that we're in because you're calling us to leave. Give us courage to step out into a new adventure, to take the risk that you're putting in our hearts to take. And Holy Spirit, above all, give us the wisdom to know the difference. To know when it's time to stay and grind. When it's time to go and fly. We need your help. There are things that we are facing in our world today that none of us are really prepared for fully. But we trust you. And so thank you for the story that you're writing for every individual life in this room, for those that are watching online. Thank you for the corporate story that you're writing for Restoration Church and every single church in this community. Thank you for the story you're writing for Huron. 
Thank you for the story you're writing for South Dakota. Thank you for the story you're writing for the United States. Thank you for the story that you're writing for this world. Help us to let perseverance finish its work so that your kingdom come and your will is done on earth just as it's done in heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.